Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Take a dose of every day. How am I supposed to stay in a world built on empty ways and the lessons of our Thanks for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is Series 2, Episode 39. I sat down last night with Art, the fishing manager from the Orvis Tyson's Corner Store, and we geek out over steelhead from Lake Michigan to Lake Ontario. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the next two hours of Steelhead Talk. All right, so we are sitting in the backyard right now at the, the new house in Rutherford upon Fairfax, and we have Art with us. Want to introduce yourself? Hey, guys. Art Noglack, fishing manager, Orvis Tyson's Corner. So we're out here having a Coney Island hard root beer, and we are going to discuss all things Rust Belt Chrome. So, uh, all right, so Art, tell us uh, where you're from and uh, how you got into steelhead fishing. So, um, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, uh, born and raised, um, got into steelhead fishing at a pretty, pretty young age, grew up, uh, within walking distance from a, a major tributary of Lake Erie and, um, always had access to, uh, really good steelhead fishing. And, you know, I started, uh, I started out on a, on a, on a spin rod, um, you know, fishing for, fishing for steelhead and, and, um, you know, eventually I started to see more and more people get into fly fishing for them and something I always wanted to try. So, um, kind of picked up the fly rod and, uh, never, never went back. How long have you been fish, uh, fly fishing then? So, um, I've been fly fishing now, uh, just over 10 years or so. Yeah. All right. You're pretty accomplished for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, you know, the thing is, is you know, years are relative. I've logged a lot of river hours, yeah. you know, <laughs> All right, so in, let's the, in talk, a short time. Let's talk about uh, the locations. What, what would be the rust belt? 
So, you know, although there's a lot of awesome Great Lakes steelhead fishing, um, I consider, personally, I consider the Rust Belt um, from Traverse City, Michigan. Uh, I'm sorry, from, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Grand Rapids, Michigan, let's say, um, you know, all the way through, uh, through Niagara, Niagara, New York, you know, Buffalo and and then what uh, would uh, like like, like the New York trips up on like Ontario would those you know so New York's interesting because it's got you know two major Great Lakes um, you know up there but uh, you know I fish mostly the Erie trips you know so um, when I'm in you know when I'm in New York I'm uh, you know typically fishing the Erie trips but there's so many I mean. Um, you know, there's there's Sandy Creek, the Niagara River is a major a major tributary. Um, there is uh, Cataraugus Creek, you know, obviously, and and a bunch of smaller streams like, um, you know, Canada Way, and uh, there's 18 Mile, there's there's Oak Orchard, um, you know, there's lots of streams. I mean, the reality is with 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 Great Lakes steelhead fishing, if you look at the if you look at the Great Lakes, and you look at a map. Any tributary coming out of one of those lakes, chances are it's going to get steelhead. Even if they're not stocked there, they're still just going to run up. Absolutely. So, you know, um, one thing that I've found, and, you know, in fact, some of the best days steelhead fishing that I've, I've had are on tributaries of these lakes where they don't stock them. You know, uh, these fish kind of have a mind of their own, and, and if they're in the vicinity, they're going to run up, you know, whatever water, you know, whatever tributary they want. And, you know, I've seen steelhead run up things that are you know no more than a drainage ditch and uh the nearest stocking has been you know 50 60 70 miles away wow yeah yeah are they just looking for food or are they also just you know apparently they, they can smell their home stream but maybe they're just getting lost and it just looks like you know like a dive bar to them and they're going into it to check it out yeah so um so one thing that's really important to to know about steelhead, and you know, I'm not a I'm not a biologist, but I've done I've done a lot of reading, and um, you know, I've been doing it for a while. I've hung out with a lot of guys who know a lot of things, and, and you know, the kind of the general consensus is they're never looking for food when they're in the stream. You know, so they they spend the bulk of their lives from from what I from what I discern and based on things I've read is um, they spend the bulk of their lives, you know, out in the lake in the deeper reaches of the lake, and they're they're eating this tiny 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 little thing that's like you know similar to like a sea flea um and that's the bulk of their diet and you know they're they're you know these this this anadromous fish who uh you know migrates every year to you know the mouths of of these rivers and as they as they get closer to the mouths of these tributaries then their diet changes and they and they you know they feast on you know larger things uh, in preparation for the rigorous spawn. So, you know, then they're looking for things like bay fish, you know, the emerald shiner, some, some lakes that smelt, um, you know, and other things like that. But, but really, once they, once they get into the stream, um, they're really just focused on getting as far upstream as they can. And that what they're looking for is, is they're looking for this small pea-sized gravel so, so that the females can you know, really use their powerful tails to dig the reds out of that, that pea-sized gravel. They're going to lay their eggs in there, and then the males are going to come up behind them, compete against each other to see who, you know, gets to fertilize those those eggs. So 
you know, I've, I've read things that have said that, you know, these steelhead can live in a tributary up to six months without touching a morsel of food. And that's really, you know, understanding the concept, the difference between a steelhead that's in a river and what they're trying to accomplish and what they're trying to do um, is really the secret behind catching them and having successful days. And it's very different from, you know, fishing for inland trout, for example, where a fish needs to be in a certain place and it's going to stay in a certain place where it's very easy for them to get food. Steelhead, that they have other things on their mind and, and, and food just isn't one of them. So what seasons are we going to be fishing for them? So, if and, you're, and does it like move throughout the lakes? Like one spot can be this week or month and then you, you kind of go like east or west and follow the weather? So it does. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. You know, so we have, we have all these different stocking programs um, you know, per, per state. And, you know, these steelhead, they have what we call run times. You know, there's different, there's different run times based on when they stock them. So <clears throat> in the winter, in the fall and in the winter months, you know, um, let, let, let's take like Lake Erie for an example. So in the fall and in the winter months, you know, PA stocks a strain of fish out of, out of Erie, Erie, Pennsylvania, and they, they stock them in all their tributaries that it's a fall run steelhead right so these steelhead typically you know the earliest i see them usually is is you know roughly the end of september maybe last week of september first week of october they'll start moving into the erie tributaries um and then they stay there and they winter over there you know and they're again looking upstream 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 trying to get that pea-sized gravel so they can they can spawn um and then uh you know what happens is, is you know, after the after the thaw, um, they're still in there, and, and and they you know they hang around through, um, you know, the early very early spring, and then they they then they leave. Um, now you know that being said, in contrast, like Ohio for instance, the Ohio stocks a spring run of steelhead, right? It's a little manistee strain is what they call it, and they actually get the eggs from uh, from the little manistee river in, in Michigan. They're a spring run fish, and those fish, um, you'll you know you'll find those fish typically, you know, second week of March, first week of March, you know, and it'll really kind of peak in May, um, and then you know, really like towards the end of May, early June, you'll start that those fish will all you know will all leave. Now that being said, um, we have what we call stray fish, right? So stray fish, although we talked about, you know, PA is more of a fall fishery and Ohio is more of a, a spring fishery, you can still go in Ohio and catch plenty of steelhead in the fall and in the winter months because they share the same lake, right? So, uh, you know, these PA fish, they they find their way into the Ohio tributaries in October, you know, and they're not supposed to be there. They weren't stocked there, you know, um, but that's just kind of where you know where they end up. So it's kind of like the dive bar thing, you know, you get lost, and that's just the closest the closest place. And then in contrast, again, the same thing in in PA. I mean, you can go to PA and you know the middle of May, uh, smallmouth fishing, and tie into a, a nice a nice steelhead, and then chances are that's a that's an Ohio fish that somehow you know, ended up over there. And, and you see the same thing in New York. And New York's typically a fall fishery as well. And then there's the summer ones are Skimania. Correct. So um, you have what's called a Skimania strain. And, and some of the rivers in uh, in Indiana, you know, you'll find, you'll find that Skimania strain of steelhead. 
and they're you know August they're 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 a summer run summer run fish. Where are these fish all coming from originally? They're all West Coast. So the reality is is I've done I've done a lot of reading on this as well. Um, there's a lot of different things going on. So you know the last last I've read like you know Ohio like I said they get their eggs from uh, and they raise these fish in in troughs up in um, uh, up in Northeast Ohio and and. Um, uh, they're coming from Michigan, you know, it's a little Manistee River, and, and that lineage traces back somewhere to the West Coast steelhead, and PA has like a, a hybrid, you know, fall run fish that they get from, uh, you know, they're kind of raising their own mutt fish, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really consider them, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really look at it like, are they West Coast fish or East Coast fish or whatever. I mean, they're just a, a resource that we have. Uh, in the Great Lakes, and and they're their own, you know, they're they're just their own fish, you know, and they're out there living in the freshwater and spawning in the freshwater. So, um, yeah, they, you know, some biologists say that there's, you know, very little difference between a West Coast steelhead and an East Coast steelhead. Some people say that there's a lot. You know, I say, who cares? You got this resource in your backyard, yeah. and all these awesome fish go go fish for them, right? You know? And you're definitely going to catch more. <laughs> up on the Great Lakes in a day than you will out west. Um, yeah, yeah, so at least that's been my experience, you know, so I've done some uh, some Pacific Northwest steelhead fishing, and, and yeah, it was awesome, it was beautiful, and I did catch some some really nice fish, and, and um, it was a little bit of a different experience, you know, obviously the rivers are a lot bigger, um, you know, so it's a little bit more difficult to, to track down the fish and, and, and find them, um, you know, where, you know, in the, in the Great Lakes we have a little bit more of a reliable, uh, you know, fishery in that way, if, if you will. Yeah, a little bit more consistent, you know I mean? Basically, we have, like, a bottleneck effect, you know. It, it's not like we're standing on the Columbia River, you know, where the, you know, the stream is God only knows how many, you know, feet or yards across, where, you know, our typical steelhead stream is no more than 60 feet across, typically. You know, some a lot smaller than that, what's, some a little bit larger. What's with those huge, like, rock walls up there, too, that, like, crumble? It's like you expect Jawas to be up there. Yeah, so, so it's pretty it's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, so, you know, that's uh, that's the shale. And um, shale's interesting. So, like, if you take, like, Ohio, for for an instance, if you, if you trace way, way, way back, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and maybe tens of thousands of years. I'm no, like, paleontologist or, you know, whatever, but uh, that's, that's shale. Ohio used to be underneath an ocean. Um, and it's great. Like, that, those, those, those shale shelves, like, they represent, like, you know, however many tens of thousands of years of, you know, erosion and different things like that. And it's really cool. Like, if you do some research on it, they find a lot of awesome fossils and things like that in there. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, but that's what it is. And, and most of our our, our tributaries, um, you know, especially throughout the Erie trib, the tribs, are, are shale, you know, shale base. So the gradient's very low on these, on these rivers. Um, How do they find pebble if it's... Yeah, yeah. So, so shale's like flat, right? Like, like dominoes. You mm-hmm. stack it up, and it comes out and like, yeah, it's, it's perfect rocks for skipping. Yeah, exactly. So like, I kind of talk about it as like walking on a countertop. Um, Got to have st- uh, studs in your boots, otherwise that stuff is right. It's a little slick. It's yeah. a little, it's a little slippery. Um, but but it goes back to what I was talking about. You know, so these fish have to travel quite a ways to find that like pea-sized gravel typically where there's like tributaries coming in 
to the main stem of the river. A lot of times we'll push, you know, sediment and small rocks and things like that. Um, you know, obviously the further upstream you go, uh, the more the more gradient you find, it's just gravity, you know. Obviously, so the more the more gradient you find, the more rocks, you know, and, and, and natural pebbles and things like that you find, and um, you know, it's just basically that that accumulation, you know. And it takes it takes a lot of water to push those heavy rocks further and further and further downstream. So typically, the further upstream you go, the more of that you'll find, which is why you know those steelhead have to make you know such a, a rigorous. Uh, effort to you know get upstream to find that spawning habitat um, you know that being said like in the Great Lakes you know I've seen lots of different contrasting research but in the Great Lakes um, you know there's very little from what I from what I gather you know as a as a an intermediate knowledge at best you know it's there's very little successful spawn um, you know percentage per the amount of fish that are out there but uh, regardless if they're successful or not, they're still going out there to try to do the exact the exact same thing. Do you know how old some of the fish are? Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, typically, like, you'll find, like, fish to be six and seven years old at the oldest, you know, from, from what I read. Some a lot less and some a little bit, little bit more, but um, I, I have read that uh, they do outlive the, the Pacific Northwest steelhead. Um, but yeah, it's you know I think I think kind of like that six seven year mark is is really the magic number. From do they know like flies after a couple years? Um, you Are know, they educated because they don't they don't not there year round. So there's got to be some that just completely forget. You know, here's here's the thing. Like, you know, I don't know anything about the memory of a fish, but um, here's what I do know: when they're fresh and they're and they're they're coming in and they're you know chrome bright, just fresh in. They're very dumb, you know, and you can catch them just about on anything. Um, so I think that throughout the course of a season, uh, yeah, I think they do get hip to kind of seeing, you know, you see the same orange glow bug a hundred thousand times, you know, drift past. Yeah, I think I think they kind of they kind of get the get the hang of it, but year after year, I really don't. You know, there there are those magic days where you're standing on the lower river, and uh, and you're out there just stripping a streamer or making a dead drift or whatever it is you're doing just hoping to catch that first steelhead of the year or whatever they, and all of a sudden it just bam it just turns on and these these fresh fish just they just appear out of nowhere um and, and really it, it, it's not out of nowhere there's a lot of things that that, that come into play of when they run how often they run when they move um you know, a lot of it's you know uh, water temperature versus the lake temperature. That's the that's the key thing. You know, a lot of people in the beginning in the early season we we talk about it every year. We talk about it. You know, like uh, you know we'll say you would think we'd had some sort of, sort of like farmer's almanac on steelhead, right? And we say, oh man, it was like a really harsh winter and it was super cold and then we got a lot of rain last spring, so the water table is really high. So this year, you know, they're going to come early or they're going to come late. We get all these predictions, you know. And those so, are all freestones as opposed to tailwaters. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of, them are, most of them are freestones. There are, you know, a couple streams here and there where there's, you know, a tailwater-ish sort of scenario. But, yeah, they're, they're, for the most part, they're all, they're all freestone so streams. So some of the streams I've heard of, so the term uh, butts to nuts, fishing that close, oak orchard. Uh-huh. Why is Oak Orchard apparently so freaking crowded? Mm. The, the reality is, man, it is like, it doesn't matter what steelhead stream it is, you know. Um, if the fishing's you know, good, people are going to be there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially like you know, if you go on a Saturday uh, or a Sunday on the weekend, and and you you especially stick to like the lower portion of the river, which is you know typically like the first you know four or five miles, uh, you know of the river, you're you're gonna see some people. You know, there's 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 very few you know secrets left in this in this game you know secret spots and things like that and and you're gonna find some people and and um you know really you're not gonna change that fact right you're not gonna keep people off the river and and, you know not that you won't ever have the river to yourself because you know you you will you will find those days and, and we'll talk more about that later but um you really just have to change your attitude towards it you know i mean i'll, I'll tell you right now like some of the best days on the water I've ever had and not necessarily in terms of amount of fish I caught but just the most fun times have been out there like you know uh you know butts to nuts or assholes to elbows whatever whatever you want to whatever you want to call it when you're around a bunch of people you know having fun and and high-fiving and cracking some beers or maybe you know teaching a new guy how to do it you know uh, helping somebody land their first fish taking their first picture you know um from the Canadian guys last year when they were making warm Nutella sandwiches on cinnamon raisin bread on a camp stove with a frying pan and then yeah, they'd man. go with grilled cheese I'm like yeah dude and that, I'm totally doing that exactly this year. man and that's what it's all about like you know the first time that like you know you you take a swig off of some old Russian guy's you know flask and you know start talking about what it used to be like and how you know I mean it's great it's a great time you know I mean think about it this way right if you went to a Grateful Dead concert and you had the whole place to yourself. You really wouldn't have much fun, yeah. you know. And that's what steelhead fishing is. Yeah. It's a Grateful Dead concert, you know. And that's what you're going for. I mean, steelhead fishing is is it's rock and roll, and it's have a good time, and it's a it's a party, you know. And and you just have to change your attitude towards it, you know. Like all these guys who want the river to themselves, and you know, and and it's just it's just an unrealistic expectation at times, you know. And you can find, you know, that so that. But. That's Cataraugus. It goes through a. Native American Reservation? Yeah, yeah. Cataraugus Creek is one of my favorite streams. And that's um, how you can get I, I would, solitude. I would, yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, you can get solitude in any one of these streams, really, if you if you move far enough upstream. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Cataraugus Creek, you know, runs through an Indian reservation. You know, that's one part of it. you got to get a, a, a special permit, but it's pretty easy to get. Um, you know, the Cat, uh, it's, a, it's a gorgeous stream. I, you know, I think it's one of the prettiest, if not the prettiest, most scenic Great Lakes steelhead stream, um, but uh, it's a bigger river, and and the window which you can successfully fish it is pretty short. You know, so these streams, um, you know, because the gradient's so low, they suffer from you know runoff, you know runoff. So you know the stream will get extremely high after a, a, a rain, you know, and you get all this runoff, and then you know depending on the size of the stream, it can take days or weeks or sometimes even months depending on you know the weather to, to clear down to a fishable a fishable level um so it's really good to know like if you're if you're uh if you're out you know fishing a bigger your great lake steelhead stream it's really good to you got a trip plan make a mental note of some of the smaller tributaries nearby or tributaries of that mm-hmm. main river so Temple maps, Google Earth. Yeah, absolutely. Books. There's a lot of great literature on Great Lakes steelhead fishing. Amazing literature. You want to name a couple books? Yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, back in Ohio, where I'm from, we call uh, John Nagy. John Nagy's book. He's from uh, uh, John Nagy lives in the suburbs of Pittsburgh. 
awesome, awesome guy. Great steelhead guy. Um, he uh, he wrote a book, I don't know, a bajillion years ago, and it's been you know reprinted every four or five years. Uh, it's called the Great Lakes Guide to Erie Steelhead, I think. As with all fly fishing books, the name's really horrible. Right. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a red book. Uh, I think it's called the, the the Great Lakes Guide or the Steelheader's Guide to Great Lakes or Erie Steelhead, something something like that. John Nagy. Um, that's an awesome awesome book. So that book, uh, unlike a lot of the others, it, it really pinpoints specific Erie tributaries, and it tells you like the optimum, not only the optimum times a year to fish them, but the exact you know runoff periods, how long they take to run off in a high water event. It gives you spots to park and fish. Uh, you know, it tells you exactly what CFS is kind of prime for that for that particular river, um, and then obviously all the techniques and methods and things like that to go with it. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, there's also another book called Steelhead Salmon and Trout by uh, a guy named Carl Waxelman, another uh, another another PA guy. Um, phenomenal book, um, uh, you know. And that one's a little bit, I, I'd say, a little bit more advanced, you know, steelhead techniques and, and focus more, you know, more on like rigging and and, and prime holding water and, and things like that. Um, and then uh, lastly, a, a new one. Um, a uh, guy who, who grew up in the same area as me in Strongsville, Ohio, uh, just recently wrote a book. Uh, his name's Jerry Darkus. And, um, I've always pronounced it Dark, so now I know how to say yeah, his name. Yeah, I think it's Darkus. Uh, uh, and it's called... Uh, uh, what the heck's it called? Um, I'm going to look it up? Yeah, look it up. I can't remember. It's, that's horrible because I just bought it and read half of it. But, um, oh, Fly Fishing the Inland Oceans. That's right. Right, yeah, Fly Fishing the Inland Oceans, Jerry Darkest. And this is about, like, going going for these, you know, not only steelhead but all sorts of different species in the Great Lakes. Like, you know, the steelhead portion is a lot about, you know, fishing from the beach, which is which is really cool. I mean, you hook one of these things in open water. I think he just had an article on Fly Fisherman or one of them about running down the beaches outside uh, Cleveland. Yeah, man. It's it's awesome. I, I didn't read the article, but you know, Jerry uh, uh, Jerry's been doing this for a long, 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 long time. I remember way, way back in the day when I first started watching this old this old movie that Lonnie Waller did. Uh, and I don't know if it was like in the 70s or the 80s, long before I was born. And Jerry, there's Jerry Darkus standing, you know, somewhere in Ohio talking about, you know, the Great Lakes steelhead fishing. He looked a lot younger than he does yeah. now. And wealth of knowledge. If you haven't listened to April Vokey's podcast on Lonnie Waller, mm. you go listen to that one. Yeah. All right, so we got books down. Oh, and then Jeff Lascay, too. We can't, we, can't, uh, we can't talk about Jerry Darkus without talking about his partner in crime, Jeff Lascay, another, another West Side Cleveland guy. Um, you ever get a chance to meet Jeff Lascay and see him out there with a spay rod, it's like a life-changing experience. The guy's, the guy's just dialed, dialed in. All right, and then Senyo's got a book coming out. Let's see what it's called. Uh, it's like... Do, do, do. We need the song from uh, yeah, Greg Fusion Fly Time. Greg Sanyo, another another Ohio guy. He's a cop. We won't hold that against him. Really, really nice guy. Super knowledgeable. Um, really good at taking big fish pictures. <laughs> he's got a lot of. And great... he's a big dude, so those fish are yeah. that much bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of great flies too, man. Oh yeah. 
we'll get into the flies in a little bit. Sorry. Yeah. Right, so let's say somebody is uh, going to go steelhead fishing on the Great Lakes. They're going to drive all the way to Tyson's Corner, Virginia, to buy gear from us. We're going to break down rod reel, line, leaders, backing. Let's go through the whole like shebang of of what somebody needs: single versus two-handed rods. Um, yeah, man. This is where you shine. So let's let's go for that. Right. So, um, you know, steelheading. So, uh, you know, if I had to pick. If I had to pick one rod, um, I would definitely take a, uh, a 10 foot seven weight, um, rod with me, you know, and, and yeah, I, you know, I don't know that it matters all that much fast action, slow action. We can talk about that till we're blue in the face, but you know, a stick, uh, with, uh, you know, a 10 foot length, you know, in a, in a seven or eight weight, um, line weight, I, I think is really the best, the best thing you could have. Why wouldn't you just bump up to an eight and have a little bit of extra oomph? Uh, yeah, you I mean you totally could. I mean, there's there's really there's really nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, a ten foot eight weight's great. You know, for the steelhead. Um, you know, I, I, I personally like a, a, a seven weight rod. Um, you know, some of the uh, you know some of the strikes can be can be pretty subtle, especially in the colder months. You'd be you'd be surprised. You know, you, you catch them in the warmer months or, or when they're fresh, and, and I mean they just they just slant it. You know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a little bit more fun on a, on a seven weight rod, you know. And I think, um, you know, I think the seven weight is really the perfect the perfect rod for you know not only power, you know, you can turn over, um, you know, a good amount of weight with that with that seven. But you know, it's also a little bit more fun. Now, but yeah, you could totally do. It's better to have more too much than not enough. I yeah. think. Yeah. And definite advantage with two hander from switch to spay rod. So it's not a wait. You mean? Just like between the, single and double, or yeah, switch just, and spay. Well, from single to switch to spay is just. I mean, overhand casting or roll casting a single-handed rod versus having a two-handed rod. All right, so you're out there all freaking day from sunrise until you're done. So here's the here's the reality on it. You know, in my in my humble Wait, opinion. Hear that? Hold on, that's the FBI plane circling us. Right oh there. yeah yeah yeah, right on. Surveillance plane, man. It's, yeah, I hope they don't know about my warrants. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know, uh, here's here's the reality again. Like most of these streams, okay, are this upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tacovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Between... 30 and 60 feet across there are exceptions you know there's places 
they're in excess of 200 feet but but most of them are small to medium size tributaries and um you know i'm not saying there's not a place for two-handed rods in great lake steelhead fishing because there because there certainly is right but if you use the proper line okay so for for all of my indicator fishing Right, so if I'm using if I'm using the old thingamabobber and you know some split shot, like the new one with the screw on it. Yep, yep, that that's that's a great one. I used that for the first time uh, up on the west branch of the Delaware a couple weeks ago for the first time. That thing is great, by the way. Um, you know, so so for my right angle indicator techniques, I'm typically running a ten foot seven weight, which is more than enough to turn that thing over, and you can make a sixty foot cast with that thing pretty far. But you're not making sixty foot casts. You know, most of these tributaries are waist high walking speed water right across the river there's very few places in the great lakes that i can't cross from one side of the stream to the other very safely so you can always wait a lot closer to your target than, than you think you can um so you know there's it's not like fishing the tidal potomac with a with a two-handed rod down at fletcher's we don't need to make these you know 100 foot casts with you know skagit heads and and thin running lines you know um you know, just a really just a basic roll cast or a single spay or, a, or an upstream, you know, water load at, you know, 20 to 40 feet is more than enough to get it done, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that that's too, too tiresome personally. Um, and then, you know, even with like swinging flies for steelhead, right? So when you get into swinging flies, that's really where you, you think about the switch rods and the spay rods. Um you can really do the same thing with a with a single hand fly rod you know especially with the with the uh you know some of the new like lines that we have that are designed for roll casting heavy weights you know so you can take your 10 foot 7 weight or even you know your 10 foot 8 weight rod and um you can put a, a wolf's triangle taper on it or you know the orvis bank shot line and you can turn over a heavy you know a heavy sink tip and a heavy fly um at the range you need to to get it done um now that being said i love to fish the switch rods and the spay rods you know but um typically uh i like the switches you know they're a little bit shorter a little bit more appropriate mm -hmm. um and you know i'll fish a uh you know just a basic you know switch line that's designed you know for for the rod i don't think there's um much need for a skagit head on most of the rivers you know yes you are turning over some weight but you don't need to get it out there that far um and a lot of times there's plenty of room for d loops and a lot of times even room for for back casts on, on a lot of the streams um you know and just uh and just a between a five and ten foot piece of 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 uh like a t11 you know to get it to get it down or or like so a poly leader what's a t11 for those i don't know uh you know that uh, i'm not even exactly sure what the so inches like inches per second it is on the on the the, the sink rate basically at rio for instance makes a product that's um you know it's a sink tip uh you know or you can also use uh uh like orvis makes a, a poly leader and that poly leader comes in various lengths like you can get them at like seven feet you can get them at 10 feet and they have different sink rates, just something to help to cut through the water so that your fly can can get down. Is that in lieu of using split shot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's it's in lieu of, of, of using split shot, you know. Which gets it, hung up on the rocks and gets you all 
sorts of snag if you use the split shot all the time. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, when we get down to the the leader setups, I'll, I'll talk to you about a couple couple tricks that I've found uh, to help with that. Um, but yeah, you know, switch rod would look like uh, uh, you know maybe like an eleven foot seven weight. You know, eleven foot seven weight switch rod is good. Um, you know, uh, yeah, eleven eleven and a half foot six weights, eleven and a half foot seven weights. You know, twelve foot eight weights. Those, those are all those are all good options. Um, I do like the the ten foot rods for the indicator fishing. Um, I do find that the eleven and twelve foot rods are a little bit cumbersome when you're landing the fish in close. Um, because you got this really super, this really super long lever, and when you're trying to put sideways pressure on that fish, sometimes it can be a little difficult and clunky, and you're actually fighting the fish, the rod tips into trees and, and things like that. Um, these things are, you know, happen in, in, in close quarters. So, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, as much as I love to sell rods, you know, it, it's your nine foot eight weight rod that you have for bone fishing is a great setup to go out and, and steelhead fish. You know, if you if you if if you lived on one of the, if you lived on the Great Lakes, of course it warrants some more specialty tackle. But to this day, probably the most common rod out there on the Great Lakes that you see is a nine foot eight. You know, same rod you're going bone fishing with. You know, um, and it, it works. I mean, it works just fine. You know, when I got into it, I fished a nine eight for years before I ever started getting into the specialty tackle. It works awesome. Yeah, yeah. What about reels? Got to have a large arbor. Yeah, large arbor reel um, may be more important than the rod. You know, it, it, it really does. Uh, it really does make the difference. You know, um, best way to explain the, the large arbor reel is is you know, um, the arbor on your reel serves, I think, really two purposes, um, other than other than holding the line. It allows you to put a lot more backing on the reel, right? And we think of backing as like this insurance policy. Um, you know, in case you catch the fish of a lifetime, and it and it takes you, in you know, past the hundred feet or so of your of your fly line, you know, you still got something to to reel it in. And, and you know, if you make a mistake on a steelhead, you'll definitely go into your backing. Um, but really, the, the the best thing that, that these large rubber reels do is you think about it like a like a wheel, right? Now, uh, I don't make a lot of money, so I drive a, a Chevy Cruze. <laughs> And uh, that Chevy Cruze has like 15 inch wheels, right? Um, so uh, I got a buddy who makes a, a good bit of money and he's got a brand new Hummer. And uh, on his Hummer, he's got, you know, 22 inch wheels. That's crazy. Um, yeah, so he, he's also from Cleveland, so 22 inch wheels are like a must have. Um, do they do, still do spinners on the wheels? Yeah, yeah, they do. He doesn't have the spinners, but they're definitely chrome, you know? And um, so it takes a lot more revolutions per second for me to move my Chevy Cruze. It takes a lot less revolutions per second for him to move the Hummer, right? So it's the same thing with the large arbor reel, right? Less, the, the larger the arbor, the larger the wheel. The less revolutions per second it takes to get the fish in, mm -hmm. right? Or to keep tension on the line. So these steelhead are just notorious for, like, running you out, right, you know, 30, 40, 50 feet away, and then you got tension on him, and then he just comes right back at you as fast as he went away right so um you know that that large arbor reel is really great to help to you know gather that line faster than a smaller you know a medium arbor size uh, the other thing is mobility great steelhead fishermen are extremely ambulatory you will see like if you watch a, a guy that knows what he's doing as soon as he hooks up into the fish hooks up with the fish in a blink of an eye that guy is on the bank like out of the water on the bank like in the soccer field like running 
left and right trying to keep up with that fish you know so he's using his body as a way a, a way to keep tension on that fish because he knows that at any second that fish can just bolt right back at him he loses all the tension he loses all the fish so it's kind of like this fish on and then he runs up on the bank or somewhere where he's got some room or into shallow water where he can he can move around as that fish moves around so he can maintain maintain tension so as the fish is moving towards him he's walking backwards reeling 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 what about click and paul versus having that drag crank down i mean you know i like the drag you know i like to i like to get the fish I on the slow reel that fish down yeah i want to slow that fish down get him on the reel as quickly as possible um you know but click and paul is cool too you know uh i challenged somebody to go out with a click and paul and, and land some steelhead and, and it's really like a lot of fun i mean you can do it guys out west do it all the time um it, it when you fish the longer rods you know like once you get into like the 11 foot 12 foot 13 foot rods um, those click and pauls are, are a lot of fun because you're, you're, you're using that, the length of that rod, uh, to fight the fish, you know, mm -hmm. it's the same thing as like Tenkara, right? You think about Tenkara, um, you know, I don't, I don't fish Tenkara rods, but that's the, the principle, right? Using the yeah. length of the rod to fight the fish, you know, it's that much more wood you're putting to the fish, you know, and, and I don't know if this is true, but I've always looked at it this way. For every foot you move up in the rod length you can move up one line weight in fighting power, you know? So my 10-7, right, to me, I can fight a fish the same way I can on my 9-8, right? And so on and, and, and so forth, you know? Because that extra foot, it, it actually does make a, make a difference because it's that much more wood that the, you know, mm -hmm. or graphite in this case or whatever that that fish is contending against, you know? Um, yeah, and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to fight, fight fish on the long run. Do you buy your leaders or do you build your own? Um, I buy my leaders. You know, I always have. Um, so, you know, leader tippet setup is, you know, and fly positioning and where to put the split shot uh, is probably the most heated debate amongst steelhead fishermen, you know. Actually, the most heated debate is uh, is the woolly bugger, the dropper, or the point fly. That's the most that's the most heated debate. But not in New York because we can't use. Yeah, <laughs> that was weird. So the first time I met, I was emailing with Jimmy Lampros. Mm -hmm. He's like, "Yes, yeah, so you have your egg and then your bugger." And I'm like, "I'm like, wait, 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 what?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like, "No, dude, that's how we do it here." Mm -hmm. And I was like, "That makes no sense at all." He's like, "Egg before the bugger." DJ Jazzy Jim Lampros. Wow. Great, great steelhead fisherman. Even better catalog model. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, man. Uh, so we'll talk about that later. All right. When we get to the fly part. Uh, so leaders, right? So, so yeah, leaders. So, so a little bit more about fly lines before we get to leaders. So your basic weight forward. Um, so whether you're you're putting on your nine eight or your ten seven or your ten eight or whatever it is you use, even nine and a half foot six weight rods will land, you know, steelhead. I mean, this is still a great rod. Um, so just your basic weight forward trout line works really well. You know, um, you know, you can use a weight forward trout line, or you know, uh, Orvis makes them, and other other manufacturers make them as well. Are like these steelhead tapers, right? So these steelhead tapers are great for roll casting. Um, you know the the. It tapers. It's got a little bit longer of a forward taper, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's they're they're great great for great for roll casting, um, you know. And then typically I build my own leaders 
uh, you, know, you can read some of these books and, and people say that like yeah yeah the water's really clear and you got to go down to 5x tippet and I've never I've never never had to do this never been that bad for me um, typically what I do my my setup for indicator fishing for these steelhead which I think is the most effective way to catch them by far is is you know your right angle indicator techniques with like a thingamabobber um, is this what I'll do at the beginning of the year right I'll buy uh, a handful of seven and a half foot zero X mono filament leaders right nylon monofilament leaders um, and what I'll do is I'll take a really small micro swivel or barrel swivel the smallest you can find and I'll tie it to the end of it with a clinch knot okay and that is my steelhead leader for the year. I think all you gotta do is switch out. So what I would do when I do that, so you gonna switch out tippets, right? I put the split shot above the swivel so it doesn't slide down anymore. That's what I've always done. So that works. I'm gonna do you one better. Yeah, man. Right. That's why we're here. Right, 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 right. So, uh, so what I do, right, is I, I take that seven and a half foot zero uh, X um, nylon leader, right, and I, and I like the nylon because it floats. Um, a little better than the fluorocarbon. And it's half the price. And, yeah, it's probably less than half the price. Yeah. Um, and what that does is, it, it in my head, and, and really all that matters is what's going on in your head, right? You're imagining where the flies are in the drift. It doesn't matter what you read. It doesn't matter what the guide says. Uh, well, it does matter what the guide says. But, but what's more important is you have confidence in what you're doing, right? If you imagine what's happening if you if you if you imagine where your flies are in this in this scenario you're gonna have a lot more success and and just doing that is gonna keep you more attentive um so i imagine that this nylon material floats a little bit better and i'm imagining that my strikes are my my indicator is a little bit more sensitive right because this stuff is floating uh you know on the water a little bit a little bit better not pulling down on my indicator as much um so yeah seven and a half feet to the barrel swivel and then what I'll do is, uh, you know, typical if I'm fishing like, you know, waist high walking speed water, which is typically the, where you're where you're you're fishing to them the most. Um, then I'll tie on uh, like a one foot to 18 inch piece of one X fluorocarbon clinch knot to the bottom of my barrel swivel. And then I'll tie an egg pattern or a nymph. Right. So let's say we're going to fish a size, you know, 12 or 14 glow bug, right? Um, and then what I'll do is I'll take a foot or so of 2X fluorocarbon, so I, I see I'm keeping like a little taper going on, uh, to the shank of the hook from the glow bug, and then I'll tie a little bait fish pattern or, or another nymph, right? So like a, like a, you know, a size 8 or 10 woolly bugger, right? A little white one with a bead or something like that, a little bit of crystal flash or whatever have you. Um, and so that's kind of my system. Now for the split shot, as opposed to, to, to putting it on the fixed line, right? So as we all know, the split shot is typically what's getting caught in the rocks and in the shale and, and everything. And that's what, that's what you're snagging up on. So what I do is I take a piece of like uh, a 3X monofilament, right? Just a, about three inches long or so. And I'll tie a little clinch knot to the top of the barrel swivel, so it's kind of hanging off the side. Right. And then I'll tie a little overhand knot in the end of it, right? And then I'll put my split shot on there. So what happens is if that split shot gets caught in the rocks, right, 
and I go to pull on it, it breaks off, all I lose is the split shot and I don't lose my whole rig. So then all I gotta do is pull off a little piece of 3X tippet and tie some more split shot on. Yeah. You ever had those pre-tied ready to go? Um, is that just? No, I don't. So, so what I do is when I'm done for the day, right? Uh, like I just, I just, I just clip off my the bottom of the swivel, and I reel the thing back up onto the reel, right? And then, if I want to go back out again, I just tie that rig back onto the bottom of the swivel. That so that swivel stays on there nice the whole easy. the whole year, nice yeah. and easy. Yeah, yeah. And that's 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 pretty much it, you know. And that's and, and and you know you may vary like the tippet size if the water's really super low and clear. You might go down to a one x nylon, you know, seven and a half foot to a swivel, and then drop it down to a two x to the to the egg pattern, and then drop it down to a three x to the to the bottom fly, you know. Um, rarely ever do I have to go below you know three x, even when the water's gin clear. They're they're not as line shy as you as you might think, especially if you're fishing to the right fish. Um, so yeah, so that's typical setup for that. Um, typical setup for you know guys that are that are swinging flies, you know, is a is a five to ten foot piece of T11 or a seven and a half foot to ten foot poly leader with a um, a loop on the end, and then just a, maybe a two foot piece of um, of uh, you know like a zero x fluorocarbon tippet uh, with a perfection loop to the the polyleader or the 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 T11, um, and then you tie like a loop knot to the end, like a like a non slip mono loop right. for my streamers, and that's it. That's it. And you know it's a it's down and across, man. You know that's a great way to fish, and you can hold a, a beer can in your hand the whole time. Nice. So different types of water would you swing or drift? Like heads of pools, tails of pools, riffles, runs, plunge pool. So, you know, the thing is, is in my opinion, you know, if you're if it's numbers that you're after, you're always going to catch more fish, uh, uh, dredging them up with the with the indicator rig, you know. But, um, you know. Water's water that's more suitable for for swinging, in, in my opinion, um, is moving a little bit quicker. You know, uh, and, you know, I like to fish the 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 meat of the pool. You know, so you're it's really about covering water. You know, so you'll start right at the top of the riffle, and you'll make you know one or two or three drifts at various distances, swings rather, um, you know, through the top of that riffle, and then you'll take two steps down. And you'll do the same three casts at varying distances. Then you'll take two steps down. And by then, you know, you're, you're really kind of into the meat of the run or so. Um, and you're continuing, you know, this, this you know, down and across presentation. You may try throwing a couple me upstream mens in the system to see if, you know, you can get to fly down a little bit deeper if you're not getting any action. And then all the way through the tail out, you know. Um, you know, you, 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 the downstream swing is really about just covering water, you know, and, and getting the fly in front of as many fish as you possibly can. Um, but then, you know, and, and then in, and, and, you know, the reality with the, with the, the dead drift, you know, you're, you're really focusing on prime, you know, seams, you know, you're really focusing on prime seams of where you think the fish might, might be, um, you know, now that's just holding there to save energy. Yeah. So that's an awesome, that's an awesome question. You know, um, you know, these fish, 
you know, like I said, I mean, I mean, basically what they're doing is is they're constantly in a state of motion, right? So can you catch fish in fast riffles? Yeah, absolutely. When they're moving from point A to point B. Unlike trout, they don't need to be sitting in that fast water, you know, eating nymphs like a rainbow trout, right? They don't they don't they don't they don't even want to be doing that. They're just burning energy. They're not there for food. So what these fish do is, you know, what I like to what I like to call like a prime steelhead spot, right? Is if I look downstream, right, and then I look upstream, and when I look upstream, um, if I see if I see a huge riffle, right, like a big long riffle with a lot of you know a lot of bumps and a lot of big rocks and yeah, and, it, and it's moving, right? That's really the last place I'm gonna go you know, and, and try to find a steelhead. You know, I'm gonna try to find the steelhead in the stuff that's right above that, right? Right above that riffle. Because in my head, I'm imagining that these steelhead just just took all this energy to crash up over that big riffle, right? And now, and, and, and fight through that riffle. And if you're ever on the water and you see a bunch of steelhead crashing through a riffle, you can tell it takes a lot of work for them to get up through that. Um, and so, what I'm really looking for is that waist-high walking speed water, that deeper pool, that they're going to stop, right? They're going to stop in and conserve their energy a little bit before they're ready to take on the next big set of rabbits or, or riffles. And that's where you'll find steelhead the most stationary. And you find them there, especially like in low water events, right? Because the lower the water, the harder it is for them to, to navigate yeah. through, these, through these riffles. Really the best time to be on the water is during a descent, Right, it's during a descent, right? So, like, maybe a, a you know a couple days after a runoff period where the water's starting to come down a little bit, right? And that's when you know fish will, more fish will start to move into the river, and then more fish will be able to make it upstream because there's still enough water in the in there that they can navigate over those heavy riffles, but not so much water that it's like absolutely impossible for them to 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 get up and move, you know. So you know, waist high walking speed water. That's really. The bulk of the fish that I catch are in that, are in that, that kind of water, you know. The meat of the runs, you know, the tail outs, you know, and in the, and in the, and in the pools. But, you know, it's really a guessing game. You know, you could be fishing to a run that has no fish in it, you know. And so, you know, typically I don't pound a spot to death, you know. I'll, I'll cast to the, the likely spots and I'll make some really good drifts, um, I'll try some more split shot and more split shot and more split shot and I'll and I'll change the indicator 50 times before I tie on another fly because I don't think flies are are an extremely important part of steelhead fishing. I really don't. Um, I've caught these fish on everything from you know size 18, 20 unweighted pheasant tails to you know two watt clouser minnows to cigarette butts, trout beads. Everything you can think of, you know. Trout beads? That's yeah. blasphemy. It is blasphemy. That's getting bigger on the Salmon River. Mm. Maybe the guides are starting to throw them. You go to the fly shops, they're all carrying the beads and yeah, nail polishing them up. Yeah, you know, I mean, here's the reality. Like, I'm not against the beads. You know, what are we basically doing? We're tying a glow bug, right? Right. Which is really just a trout bead fly. You know, we're just trying to, to make a trout bead fly. I really like the... Uh, uh, I think the trout beads are actually... 
you know, a lot better for the fish than, than the, than the glow bugs. They don't take them as deep. No, right? they, they really don't. You know, if you have that, that hook set on that trout bead per the manufacturer's specifications, I think is like one inch below, um, they grab that bead, the indicator goes down and you set that hook and it just goes right to the corner of their mouth every time, you know, where, um, if you're, if you're laid on that hook set, set or you're fishing a really deep pool with a lot of split shot. And a lot of weight, sometimes those fish will take those those egg patterns really deep, you know. So uh, maybe I'm crazy, but I think those trout beads are better, yeah, better for the fish. Yeah. Hold on. We'll pause right, right quick. We need a, a, a hydration break, so uh, sit back and relax. For you, it'll be a split second. For us, a couple seconds. Uh, Non-commercial break because we don't have a sponsor. Ten seconds, we were gone. So let's talk flies right now. So, uh, like streamers versus eggs and junk. There's also, uh, let me fix this here. We're using the Yeti Colster to hold up the, the dat. Um, so since I've started steelhead fishing, like the new thing now is a lot of like intruders. That's like, uh, I've been tying those yeah, a lot. Yeah, man. So some of them, I mean, here's the thing, right? Yeah, uh, you catch, you catch, yeah, you can absolutely catch, absolutely catch a lot of fish on, on swung flies. Um, it's a lot of fun, you know, my favorite way to catch steelhead, actually my favorite way to catch any species of fish is on a swung fly, because um, they hammer it, <laughs> you know, whether it's a 12-inch striper on the tidal potomac, uh, a shad, or, you know, a 30-inch 10-pound steelhead. Um, when they hit a swung fly, it is just uh, aggressive. debauchery. Yeah, yeah it's aggressive. Um, so, yeah, intruders are great, uh, but, you know, I live in Virginia now, you know, and so when I do get to go back home and, and do some steelhead fishing, um, I want to, I want to kind of get that tug at the end of my line, so, you know, my first year in Virginia this past, uh, uh, spring, I went and spent a week in, uh, in Ohio for the, for the spring run and did some steelhead fishing, and I found myself doing a little bit more, you know, dead drifting uh, for steelhead just so I could kind of remember that tug a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, let's put this into contrast here for you. And some guys are, are a lot better, um, you know, switching spay rod fishermen than I am, um, especially for steelhead. But my best day, um, you know, steelhead fishing, you know, I probably landed you know 30 fish or so um okay. i'm gonna give the old like from scooby-doo like the um yeah yeah and that was most definitely um, 30 to 50 no 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 oh. like landed 30 fish probably hooked up 50 fish yeah holy crap yeah yeah this was about uh three years ago on on elk creek um and this was this was fishing the old white woolly bugger and the uh, sucker spawn egg pattern, you know. Um, now, do you prefer like angora or mm. yarn versus like the, uh, the diamond braid, flat braid, pearl braid? Um, yeah, man. So there's a there's a lot of different ones. Um, I tie. All of my sucker spawns with Angora, and uh, I cut off 
the tops of them and like splay it out with a dubbing brush so it right. just looks wiggly and it looks different from the manufacturer sucker spawn i'm using angora I, I always thought it was like a goat i got angora rabbit yarn yeah so so i the the, the sucker spawn i fish like ex- almost exclusively is the it's called the pink lady all right so you can YouTube that yeah, one. Look, I'll look it up now. Yeah, yeah, the pink, the pink lady, um, which is a which is a great fly. Um, the glow bug, you know, works really well. Uh, crystal meth, you know, which is kind of like a, a diamond pearl braid sorted sorted deal um, with with loops. You, uh, look at the three loop pink lady. That's the one. That's the one I use. Real su- super simple tie. Yep, that's the one. Egg yarn. I forgot that is material. Yep, yep, yep. yep oh, yep. that's nice. Yep, yep. I use the angora. And then uh, it's got like a contrast chartreuse thread. Um, Adam Hope pops up with a carp. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. You know, dare to be different. You know, Estaz eggs work really well. Just about anything. You know, my my thing is if you get it in front of them, has a good drift, a lot of times they're going to eat it, you know. Um, But, but yeah, you know, fly... Fly is not extremely important with these with these fish. It's the presentation. Know? It's not even that. It, right, right place, right time. It's really not. You know. Um, yeah. It's 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 right place, right time, man. It's really right place, right time. Um, you know. There's some. There's some debate on why steelhead eat. You know when they do. You know, and I've read so many things that talk about like, well, you know, why do they eat eggs? You know, why do they eat it all? If they're not eating, then why are they eating my fly? You know, um, and I think they're, you know, they're a a curious fish, right? You know, so they're gonna they're gonna sample things that are coming down the river. I, I read something recently that uh, the reason they eat egg patterns is because, and I don't know this to be true, but this was some biologist talking about this. The reason they'll eat the egg patterns is because they have some like biological response when they see a random egg you know floating down the river that they're either a trying to kill it because it's not they think that it's not their spawn so they're really trying to like push their line Mm -hmm. you know forward um or i've also heard that like oh they think it's like an egg that came out of their red and they're trying to grab it and put it back i I don't i don't know that to be true or the same thing with salmon yeah like i I don't know that to be true at all but what i do know to be true is like they eat egg patterns you know they eat egg flies um and they love them to death um you know i pump the stomachs of steelheads with turkey basters and and yeah i mean i've seen stone flies and caddis flies and mayflies and nothing and cigarette butts and i've seen pop tabs in their mouth and you know um (laughs) Pop yeah, yeah, yeah. So midwestern. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I, caught a, I caught a seal over If pop, I wasn't married to someone lock. from Ohio, yeah. I would not know what a pop tab was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's from a soda can top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you go to New York, they call it Coke, no matter what it is. That's the South. No, well, they do in New York. New York? I think, too, I'll have a Mountain Dew. No, 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 I'll have a Coke. Right? What, what kind, kind of Coke? Yeah, I'll have Mountain Dew. Yeah, right, 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 right. You ever see that video? of The guy who who has like the tab tied to a hook and he's snagging fish he's like i can go out and catch as many fish as i want on this lure no and no. he's like oh got another one in the back got another <laughs> one in the tail another one that. in the arse it's a funny youtube it was making the way on like salmon crazy like 10 years ago so the other part is you know why do they eat so i you know also too they're seeing a lot of stuff in the drift and they're and like, they're sampling it you know they're coming up they're grabbing it they're eating it they're crunching on it 
Um, Having a fish tank now, I noticed that my my fish will they'll just mouth whatever. Yeah. Like even the fish food, they, one of them doesn't like the red fish food. He likes the green ones. I don't. Maybe it's the color, or the, I don't know. He just only. Oh, dude! I mean, it, it's like this, right? Like so, you know. Since I've moved to uh, Virginia, you know, I've got on this this Chuck Craft bandwagon, fishing all these yeah, Chuck, Chuck Craft flies. And like, I look at these flies, and I'm like, you know, especially the the Crelix. And I look at this fly, and I'm like, this looks nothing like anything that's in nature. And I've just been fishing it like all year for trout, and just slaughtering trout on this fish yeah. or on this fly, you know, and and just ripping it upstream and downstream and left and right and the other way. I mean, it looks like nothing. I mean, it's just a, a whole bunch it's of flat. Fly. It's just a whole bunch of flash on a hook, you know, and, they, and, and these trout just kill this thing. But, you know, it is what it is. I, I think it's the same thing with steelhead. So, like, you know, the other thing that, that, that people talk about a lot in steelhead fishing is, is that, like, they get aggressive. Like, these, these females, right, they get super aggressive. All you, hormoned up. Yeah, you, if you swing something or drift something that looks wonky you know past their their red you know or whatever and they'll they'll come by and smash it and i've watched it and i've watched males you know i've thrown on like these like my buddy walt uh turn turnpike walt he's really the guy who who everybody everybody in cleveland's got a nickname right uh so turnpike walt he works for the he works for the turnpike probably best steelhead fisherman i've ever spent a lot of time with i mean this guy's so fishy it's unbelievable you know and I mean, you know, just kind of like goes on these tours for days, living out of the backseat of his car, and oh, just like, love it. yeah, I mean, he's just the fishiest guy you'll ever know. And um, you know, he'll 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 post up on like a, a bunch of males, you know, downstream from a you know, you know, fifteen twenty yards downstream from a red, and he'll spot these big males, and he'll throw on like, you know, he calls it the Waltz Turnpike Bunny, right? And it's like this big, long, like seven-inch long. It's basically a pike fly. You know, you've seen these pike yeah. flies with the really long tails and the red. And he'll rip these things. I mean, he'll throw them, you know, right at the fish to the point where it like lands on top of the fish, and he'll just start ripping it. And these males will just come crashing over each other to eat this fly. Um, and it's amazing. And he says, you know, and this guy's been doing this since you know back when forever. And uh, he says that that they think it's another steelhead. He's like these male fish, and if you ever watch two competing males, the way they do, they sit behind a bed and they literally gnaw on each other. They grab each other's backs and and attack each other. We're not that different when it comes to women either. That's true, man. Yeah, yeah, fist no. fights at bars are not yeah. over like anything no. else but women. That's that's it's very very true. And, and because we have fists, fish don't have; they have mouths. That's why they bite. That's very that's very true. I met a girl at beer tie recently. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I told you guys, beer ties like the, the pickup place now. Yeah, it's the pickup place. She lives in the Philippines. Uh oh. Actually, did she right, make though. those egg rolls? I, I haven't I haven't sampled her cooking yet, God, but I've heard I've heard about this thing called adobo. Yeah. I know Filipino egg rolls are one of the greatest things. I haven't had them yet. My wife, oh, there goes. See, I thought oh, we were Nate, we were having a dog named Dr. Jones. That's Minerva McGonagall from Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a Harry Potter reference in one of my 101 classes yesterday. Or not yesterday, last week. I always use that. If you want it, like, when you roll cast and you want to zap them with your wand. No, your man. Wand. It came organically. So we had, like, these new guys, and they were like, one of, the, one of the questions in the rigging session in the 101 class was like, 
how do we know which rod's the rod for us? And it just happened. <laughs> the wand chooses the wizard, Harry. And it was like the whole place erupted. It was awesome. So that's going to be in my 101 class from now on. <laughs> the wand chooses the wizard. Uh, what were we talking about? I don't know. The, the pike flies? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So some people out there think that, like, you know, these streamers, that these fish take them for other steelhead. Right, and and that's why you get this aggressive strike because you sweep it by and it's fluttering and flashing and you know and 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 they slam it like another another steelhead. In fact, that those that Lonnie Waller DVD I was telling you about, he he talks about that 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 they take it for for another steelhead. Now, I don't know, you know, I mean, who who knows? You start throwing some bunker flies out there. Yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, I, I, I don't I don't get it, you know. And maybe maybe I don't have enough experience, maybe whatever. But but I I don't get why it is they. You know, and, and I never see them eating, right? I never, I've ne you know, people say, oh, when the suckers come in in the spring, you can see them eating their eggs, right? When the suckers come in to spawn, because in Ohio, the suckers are also spring run. They come, like, right before the steelhead. Which makes no sense that I'm throwing sucker spawn in October. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. And, 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 you know, that's always been an indicator. When the suckers are there, you know, the steelhead are right behind them. And I've seen steelhead. I've seen suckers. Why wouldn't they see the sucker? And, not, and the, I've never, not the spawn. Yeah, and, and I don't know. Like, I never, I've never, i never really, like, watched a steelhead eat, like, a trout, you know? Um, and, yeah, and I've seen them eat everything, though, at the same time, you know? I mean, uh, I was talking to my buddy Brett uh, recently at Beer Tie, and, and he was talking to some guys about, about steelheading, and he was like, yeah, you know, sometimes uh, it's horrible to have a drag-free drift. You want to, like, actually let it drag so it doesn't look like the rest of the, you know egg patterns floating down the river. It looks different, and it catches their curiosity, and they go and grab it. He's a seasoned steelhead guy, you know, so nobody knows, you know, or, or at least people think they know, but, right. uh, you know, it's just it's just get out there and do it. Like, you'd be amazed what they'll eat if you put it in front of them. The depth is the most important thing. Getting it down and bumping them on the nose with it, you know, that's really the most important thing. I once foul hooked one on the adipose fin. Yeah. And when I finally landed it, there was just an adipose fin on the hook. Mm. It was pretty. I felt really bad. Yeah, you know, uh, a lot I of people. I was down deep, but I, yeah, <laughs> I ripped off his adipose. There's fin. a big controversy in the Great Lakes about um, do you do? We do not fish for fish on the beds, right? It's like do you do you fish for them on the when they're on their reds, or do you not fish for them on their reds? This is like a, this is like a huge huge controversy, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, if, if somebody comes to you and they go, I don't fish for them on their bed, they're lying, you know. I mean, I can't see them. They're probably on, on red. <laughs> I, just, I mean, the, where we're fishing, it's dark, you know, algae-covered rocks. Yeah, I can't see yeah. well, Jack's you're, you're, water you're, you're fishing mostly in New York, right? You know, yeah. Most of your so the New York trips, you know, again, fall-run fish, right? So you've got... Um, you know, sometimes Salmon. you have snow accumulation already and, you know, a lot of rain and a lot of runoff and things like that. In the spring, for the for the spring run steelhead, you know, the water's a little bit more clear, that I, at least I, in my opinion. Um, and if you move far enough upstream, you will start to see the reds and you'll start to see the fish. If you go far enough upstream, you'll get away from the crowds, number one, mm -hmm. and the water get a little bit shallower. You'll start to see the reds, you know, you'll see... 10, 15, sometimes 20 fish, you know, on this, like on a big inside bend, um, you know, where the, the smaller sediment collects as it's right. turning, as it's turning the we, corner. We found a bluegill red this summer with, uh, cause people know that we fish four mile run and there's all sorts of random junk in there. 
there was a triple A card. Nice. Sitting right in the middle of yeah. it, like it had cleaned it off with its tails. Yeah. yeah. Weird, weird thing you find in a red around here. <laughs> um, yeah, but you'll see them. You'll see them sitting on their beds, you know. And, and you try not to fish for them on the beds, you know. I mean, is it cheating? No. You know, they're not any easier or harder to catch than they're any not other. even. Yeah, we're not. We're not Ronnie uh, Ketteridge here. If you don't know who that dude is, don't <laughs> no, worry about no, it. No, I don't. Okay. He's the trout pro. Oh, but okay, right it's not even successful reproduction. No, too. right, and that's the other thing, right? And that's the whole and that's the whole contrast, right? Like you, you know, we have all this like geothermal warming and all these other things. Other things and, to worry about in life. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, so uh, I don't think. Do I think it's unethical to fish for them on their reds? No. Do I think it's unethical to sit there and like, you know, snag fish? Yes. Yes. Yeah. If you're sitting there snagging fish, you know, that's that's. We're not, we're not throwing sponge on hooks. Yeah, and how fun is it to stand? five feet away from the same fish and throw the same egg pattern in front of its face 40 times until you floss it in the mouth mm -hmm. and then say, oh, I got one, you know, I mean, that, that's not fun, you know. You hear sad trumpet. Yeah, yeah. Sad, sad, sad trumpet, right? So, so and, and a lot of times those are the worst fish to go after anyway. Like, those are the fish that are the Exhausted. least interested in eating, right? I mean, you want the ones that haven't made it there, you know, you want the ones that are a little bit fresher yeah. coming in on the lower ends of the river. Um, you know, so the, the two prime times I find to fish for this, this steelhead, and when I mean prime time, I mean the time that I've had the most success. Prime time to go steelhead fishing is whenever you have enough time to go steelhead fishing. That's prime time. Regardless of the conditions, go, you know. Um, but, you know, the, the fresh fish that are just coming in, right, um, and you can time it, you know, uh, you can try to time it, you know, I've been trying to time it for years, you know, and we're looking for emerald green water, you know, you'll, you'll hear it referred to as steelhead green, you know, and the water's descending, and the river's at X CFS, and the barometric pressure, and there's overcast, the and, magic the lake, hour. and the lake's at this temperature, and you'll drive yourself absolutely insane trying to find this day, and what you'll find yourself doing is sitting on the damn couch, waiting for this day that's never going to come. And really, what you need to do is just, like, if you got time, go out there. And it's just like fishing for anything else. Some days are sweet and some days are not, you know. And just go out and, and have a good time, you know. Um, but uh, where was I going with this? So, yeah, prime time. Yeah. yeah. Fish when you can. Right, right, right. <clears throat> fish when you can. But uh, the prime time is really, I think, when the fish are fresh coming in. And then when they're leaving, we call them dropbacks. You know, we're fishing for dropbacks, right? So those are the ones that are spawned out. And now they're trying to get the hell back to the lake as quickly as possible. And I find those fish to be just as aggressive as the ones coming in. Right. And I don't really know, know why. All right, let's talk about fly time. So what kind of vice are you using? Mm, I use uh, a regal. There we go. That's what I want to hear. Yeah, I use a, as a regal vice. It's yeah, a simple, I don't know, what is it? The, the, the 2000, I don't know what yeah. the model number is. You know, regal. You got preference for hooks? Um, I mean, get you some of those Matsuos, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you use a use a stout hook, man. You know, I mean, something that's not going to bend on you. Yeah, depending on what you're, you know, what you're, what you're tying. You know, like my my uh, egg patterns. I'll tie like, uh, you know, it's a two X strong, uh, or is it one X strong? I don't know. Fatty, short shank egg hook. You know, find something that says egg hook on it or mm -hmm. scud hook. Those are usually a heavy, heavier wire. Uh, the Orvis size 10 
Scud hooks are great. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Just a you know they don't bend. Yeah, short shank and 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 uh, heavy heavy wire, you know, or heavy nymph hook, whatever. Um, you know, not your dry fly trout tackle. Yeah. Um, mm. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. For streamers, same. You know, I want a, I want a heavier hook, you know. Um, I want a shorter shank. Um, wide gap. I find gives you, uh, in my mind, it gives you a little bit more leverage mm -hmm. on the fish. I like the wide gap hooks. Um, you know, Barless. I mean, uh, I crimp down all my barbs. I crimp down all my barbs on steelhead because, you know, barbs are to keep the bait on. And we don't fish with bait, you right. know. So tension is what keeps the fish on. And the main reason I, I crimp the barbs isn't some, you know, environmental crusade. It, it's really that, like, I've had enough hooks stuck in me that... I'd really just like to be able to pull them yeah. out. Without All right, it's a hundred dollar copay incident. for me at the ER. Yeah, right. And that's right. that's a couple of days of tips, man. I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also think too, like when you get snagged up, um, you need to. Oh, oh. Every steelhead fisherman needs to learn the roll cast pickup. Every fly fisherman needs to know when you roll. get snagged, right? Before you start yanking on the fly, before pull you start, some line off. yeah, pull some line off, right? Throw a nice big hard roll cast into the target, and then try to pick it up. Uh, if you don't have a barb on and your hook is buried in a log, that that energy will transfer down to the fly. Hopefully, it doesn't work every time and knock it out, and then you, you pick it up. <laughs> um, and then and then you you know you pick it up and you're and you're and you're ready to ready to rock and roll. Um, yeah, so I, cr I crimped the barbs down for that for that cool. specific specific reason. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, casting right, We're, you know tangles. Oh boy, tangles are a big a big thing. I hate the overhanging. I want to go fishing in Iceland because there's no trees. There's nothing for you to get on your back cast. Dude, you know the thing is is when I go steelhead fishing, whether a single hand rod or or a, or a, a two handed rod, every cast I make is a spay cast. Right. We talked to. Uh, I want to go steelheading uh, with Dan or Bellotta. Yeah, I was just gonna. Say, I was just gonna say at there. the uh, at the Waynesboro uh, show. You know, I ran the the Orvis booth for uh, Orvis at Bo Beasley's event. What do they call that thing? Uh, Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival oh, yeah, 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 in yeah. Richmond. Yeah, that thing was twenty sixteen. Awesome. Yeah, Richmond. That thing was awesome. If you guys haven't been there, you need to go. Those enjoying your... retirement, man. He's doing a lot of writing. Fly Fish America. It's back in your local fly shops. Awesome. Oh, also, while we're making uh, notes, Dan Gallardo now has a Tenkara podcast. That's today five episodes. So uh, it's on iTunes and go listen to that. They're uh, they're short ones, not like this. But uh, yeah, he's about thirty minutes long and uh, learn about Tenkara. All right, back to uh, uh, Waynesboro. Up? Oh yeah, Waynesboro. So, so we're at Waynesboro, right? And I, 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 I was running the booth, um, and uh, I, I had a, I had a short, short window of time where I was able to like break away and go watch one of Dan's space seminars. And, and he, he started out the space seminar with a single hand rod, which I thought was awesome. And he went through the whole, uh, uh, he went through the whole program, his whole space program first with a single hand rod, showing how you could do every space cast with a single hand rod. 
and uh, uh, this really struck a chord with me because um, Spaycasts are awesome uh, for indicator rigs, right? And it sounds crazy because you got a lot of things going on with the spay with Spaycasts, and you think that oh man, that's definitely going to tangle my rod or tangle my 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 leader and my line with all these split shots and multiple flies and indicators. But what's great is if you if you pull it off right, it doesn't. And the reason is is um, your flies are always in the water until the point of the cast, right? Mm -hmm. So because they're always in the water, the current's always pulling on the leader to keep it straight, and the rod loads with the you know with the with the D loops and things like that, and so it just carries those indicators out to the target. So typically, I use a single spay for most of my um, most of my indicator fishing, whether it's on a trout stream or, or steelhead. I'll, I'll try to use a single spay depending on what side of the river I'm on. You can also use a snap tee, or you can also use, you know, a water load type of type of roll cast. Um, you know, sometimes I'll even uh, I'll even use you know modified snake rolls depending on where where I'm at. But um, yeah, roll cast. Keep your flies in the water and they won't get tangled. That's the that's the the thing behind it. When you start mm -hmm. trying to like overhead cast, um, there are trees up at the Salmon River that just look like Christmas. <clears throat> yeah, or you know, not only the trees, but just you're throwing all this weight and all this nonsense behind you, and you're just asking to get tangled. Yeah. If you're gonna do, you know, a back cast, make it like a constant tension cast. Learn an oval cast or something like that, and that'll help you, uh, you know, keep those flies from being from being uh, tangled. Mm -hmm. You know. Do you have preference for materials? Do you like uh, synthetics versus naturals for? You mentioned some freeze and some don't. Sink rates, naturals for synthetics, flashes. Yeah, yeah, man. So um, when I uh, when I go in the winter, like a big thing that you'll find, right? Let, let's talk about let's just talk about winter, right? Let's talk about cold in general. Okay, this is one of the most important things for for steelhead fishing. Okay, is that you need to be comfortable out there, right? So if you go up to you know the salmon river in december or something or january and it's freezing cold out and you know the water temperature might be 35 or 37 and the air temperature is 17 with the wind chill and there's ice everywhere you need to be comfortable right and when i do my steelhead schools and, and seminars and things like that i always take a good portion of the time and i talk about how to dress mm -hmm. because if there's one thing i've realized is people don't realize how to dress <laughs> um so the first question I used to always get when I worked out of the, the Cleveland shop for Orvis and when I worked out of the Pittsburgh shop in PA for Orvis is, Art, why do my feet get cold? Art, why do my... Feet are too small. Why do my fingers get cold? You know, why do my hands get cold? Extremity. That's right. And the, and the answer to that question is, is, is when you're cold, your body is in a constant state to keep your temperature at 98.6 and the reason it wants to keep it at 98.6 so i want to keep wants you to keep your organs warm so what it does first is it pulls blood from your extremities to warm your core because that's where all your organs are so the first place it draws blood is from your your organs so the first thing you need to know is a you need to keep your core warm okay so in order to keep your core warm right you need to layer properly and you need to layer with non-cotton materials so that's number one. My preferred materials are merino wool. There's a lot of great synthetics out there. Patagonia makes the capoline. Arteryx makes a whole bunch of great stuff. There's down, there's Primaloft, all these things. But my typical steelhead setup, in the worst of conditions, 
are is I'm a, uh, Icebreaker is a really awesome company to make a really good quality product. They make a, uh, a merino wool base layer, right? If it's really cold, they have a, like a, a heavier weight merino wool second layer, you know, or you can wear like a polyester fleece type of thing. Um, <clears throat> and that's my upper. And then my lower will be a merino wool or smart wool, uh, uh, you know, that Icebreaker merino or a smart wool base layer, right? Which is like a next to skin. Um, and then a, a fleece or polyester um, wading pant, right? Um, and that's my and that's my lower. Okay. So so what those are going to do, right? It's going to wick moisture away from your body. Uh, so what's going to happen is is you're out there in the cold, but you're moving around a lot. Okay. You're moving around and 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 you're working up a sweat, and you're going to start to perspirate, and that's water. That's H two O next against your next to your skin. And then when you slow down, that water gets cold and literally freezes next to your body, right? So what you need is you need a material that's going to wick that moisture away from your body and out. You know, you're just going to wick it away. Um, so merino wool, right? It's naturally antimicrobial. It wicks that, that moisture away from your body. If it's super, super cold out, I'll have a down jacket over that. I really like the down. Or uh, Prima Loft is great because that stays cool even when it's wet. And then in the worst of conditions, I'll have a wading jacket over that. Um, socks, right? I usually wear two pairs of socks. I wear uh, one is a thin merino wool sock, right? It's a thin merino wool wading sock. And then I wear a thick merino wool. Do you have a wading boot that's a size bigger than what you would wear, like, fishing uh, in Pennsylvania this time of year? No, no, I don't. I've never... Never. No, like, size 14 just for extra wiggle room? Mm -mm. No, because I, I, I truly believe that if your core is warm and you're wicking that moisture away from your body, the your body's not going to pull. It takes care of itself. It takes care of itself, right? So as long as you keep that homeostasis for your organs, they're not going to rip that blood away from your extremities. So what's the point of having a wading boot that doesn't fit? That's the way I look at All right. it. Um no felt in the winter on steelhead streams, right? So a lot I end of, up with pimp shoes. Yeah, a lot of guys out there like to wear felt, and I like felt too in the water. But the the problem is, is if you're if you're steelhead fishing in the winter, and you step in some snow, it, the snow clings to the felt, and then you step in the water, and then it freezes, and now you have an ice skate. So that's not good. I really like studs, and I really like the rubber, you know, Vibram, mm -hmm. Vibram soles with some tungsten carbide studs really go a long way you got preference for gloves yeah man uh a the cheaper the better and b uh fingerless wool gloves you get them at ranger uh, surplus yeah four, ranger, four bucks man. dude yeah ranger four seven ranger surplus I've got a bag of those in the basement um yeah those are amazing you know uh uh you can come into our shop too and barber oh, yes. makes a really nice pair of uh, fingerless <laughs> fingerless wool gloves man we used to sell them out of the cleveland shop all the time so you're fancy because you're wearing you're wearing barber yeah and they're like 29 bucks but they're awesome they're a lot nicer than the than the ranger surplus yeah, ones they're not, but, the, the ranger surplus they're itchy man they're a little itchy yeah the barber ones aren't as itchy but but uh yeah man merino merino wool gloves fingerless right you got to have fingerless and don't worry about your tips getting cold you know those are just the tips and uh, as long as your core is warm, yeah. you're gonna be you're gonna be fine. You're gonna be fine. You got a funny hat to wear? Um, no, 
No. I got a nice one from Marsh's last year. Do you? Yeah. Bomber, like bomber airplane. Like, <laughs> I've never been the funny hat guy. Um, I've always done the hood up on the waiting jacket thing. What's your waiting jacket um, now? I got the cast gear, man. I love my Hellraiser. Yeah, man. The, the cast gear, they make some great stuff. They make some great stuff. You've they, got the the Sonic Seam Orvis jacket you wore in that rainy, like, 38 degree rainy 101 class. Um, actually, yeah, I have that one, but you know, believe it or not, I actually like the Clearwater jacket, the blue one, a little right. better, only because I really like those big, giant bellow pockets on the front. See, the 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 Sonic Seam jacket's great, but it's got the zippered pockets. Um, I don't know what it is, but I really dig those those Velcro uh, big bellow pockets on the on the front. Yeah, so I, when I steal a fish, I usually wear the, that one. And, and that one's like a little thicker, too. It's a little, yeah. It's a little thicker, yeah. All right. So that's the one. The blue one is the one I usually I usually wear when I'm out in the cold. So what's your what's your go-to fly? That, like, what's your fly you're going to start with? You're uh, like, like, I have a rotation. I'll go, like, egg, pheasant tail, San Juan, Jumbo John, Sucker Spawn, Intruder. And then I'll just rotate through those. That's probably more flies than I use in a whole season of steelhead fishing. No, seriously, man. Like, really, realistically, right? I have this thing in my head, and whether it's true or not, God, confidence in that one. It's yeah, confidence. It's confidence, dude. That's all that matters, man. Is is the confidence, right? And it's the same thing with trout fishing. You know, it's just it's just confidence in your fly. Um, uh, so my go-to, right? If I'm indicator fishing, it's the three-loop pink lady. Right, um, and I and I, I really like a size ten, three loop pink lady size ten, um, and then I drop a, a size eight uh, white woolly bugger with a, a gold bead. Um, you know, I tie my own. Basically, I I, I do uh, like fifteen wraps of twenty thousandths lead free wire on a eighty eight oh eight Orvis hook. Uh, I got a, a, a gold or, or silver bead on the front of that thing. Um, and then I just do some, some white, you know, crystal chenille or whatever with the little flashies. Wooly bugger chenille, I think is what they call it. Yep. And just, a, you know, a couple strands of crystal flash off the back and just a normal old wooly bugger. You ever fish white death? No. No. That's Tyler, man. Tyler from Auto Siren Flies. He, he sells more of those than, like, McDonald's does Big Macs. Yeah, and those, it's that's supposed to be like my, a uh, dead smelt that freezes when it gets too cold. Yeah, dead drifted. We'll find a picture. Who knows, here. man? You know, it, it, so it's that, all just what. That's my that's my go to like two shot fly, and then um, you know in the winter time, uh, um, there's a lot of stone fly hashes in the Midwest you know, on the Erie tribs. At least you see a lot of little stones, little black stones crawling out of the. Uh, yeah, yeah, like a zonker. You know, zonkers work too. Um, so I, I imagine that the steelhead have probably seen a bunch of those little stone flies floating around. Uh, so, you know, just a black stone fly, any pattern. You know, that Senyo's wiggle stone is a cool one. Uh, just your old Kaufman stone, you know, is another good one. Kaufman rubber leg stone. That's my yeah. That's my tidal basin carp fly. Really? I have a bag of it. They're next to my sink. I don't know why. I got my own bathroom now. So that's so my... I keep, uh, I keep track of it. No one goes in there. So I have, like, flies, like, just in the bathroom, like, all over the place. Yeah. You open up a cupboard for, like, mouthwash, flies are going to come out. I think if they don't eat a, a white woolly bugger and an egg pattern, like, they're just not going to eat, you know. Um, for, uh, for, for um, swinging flies, my favorite uh, quickly became the... Um, 
Greg Sanyo's AI Intruder. Uh, you saw that I've already started to tie some of those up for this year. I got some in my hi. some in my shop. So Senyo's, Senyo's AI Intruder is my, my favorite swinging fly now. And it's the green and like goldish? Uh, That's yep. one of them. Yeah, the green and gold was my favorite last year. I really I really like that one a lot. Um, and then the other thing too, like when you're swinging flies, don't be afraid to go down in size. And swing like random little things. Like sometimes like just swinging like a little Clouser minnow, you know, will, will work great. I would find that almost blasphemous. Catch a steel hood on a clouser. I know that's weird to me. I know it is, but like I, someone, I've seen so many guys do it. Like King Montgomery once wrote an article about using poppers for brown trout on mm -hmm. Spring Creeks, and like I'm sure it would just totally work. But to me, I just I couldn't like. The, the question you have to ask yourself, right, is what are you trying to make that swung fly look like? You know, if you're trying to make it look like a minnow, fisher minnow, we we fish intruder patterns because they push a lot of water. All right, yeah. Right? They push water, right? So they displace water. Um, and, and, you know, because they have this, like, this big head on the front and, like, a skinny profile in the back, so they, they, they have a big silhouette in the right. water. Um, but They're they don't... Marinero like would you know, call it, they have good body. Good body. Right. Uh, good, good body. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's circle back to your question, right? So, winter, synthetics versus naturals. Um, in the cold months... I, here's the thing. I like... I like natural fibers better overall. I think mat natural fibers have more movement, in my opinion. You know, I really do. Um, you look at some of the, the natural fibers that we have, like like now I tie like all my clouser minnows with like Arctic goat. Yeah, like goat, Arctic fox. Yeah, they bunny. like yeah they like undulate. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. And then when you stop them, they flare. And when you pull them, they 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 suck back in and then they flare. Um, but the problem with natural fibers, I find, are uh, in the cold months when, you, when you're into freezing temperatures, and a lot of steelhead fishing is done in, in freezing temperatures. Yeah, they they ice up a lot quicker than the uh, the synthetics. You know, so the synthetics work great. You know, in the in the colder months. Another thing, if you're fishing in the freezing temperatures with it, for, for steelhead, um, you're going to eventually run into your flies are turning to ice, your leader's turning to ice, your guys are turning to ice. There is no one way to combat this. There's no one easy way to combat this. It's just part of it. Um, but I have found that you'll find most Great, State, Great Lakes steelhead fishermen will carry a chapstick with them. And they'll rub the chapstick on their guides, and they'll rub the chapstick on their leaders, and they'll rub the chapstick even sometimes into their flies. Vaseline works really well too, um, and that'll that'll postpone the inevitable, which is the freezing up of everything you're trying to work with, yeah. and then eventually you're gonna have to break them off and 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 uh, yeah, do it again. Those crushable guides on the H twos that oh, are just like perfect. For yeah, those. when I got my Helios, you just bend them and the yeah, the ice, ice, ice just off. breaks breaks right off. Um, yeah, so... In, like, uh, 10 years, someone's going to have a battery that you insert into the yeah. real seat, and there's going to be, like, a copper yeah. wire that goes up the rod. That would be awesome. One day. One day. All right, so do you use a net when you steelhead fish? Never. Really? Do you no. wear one of those mesh gloves? No. So how do you land your steelhead? I put that thing right on the bank, man. Right up on the bank. Beach them? Yeah, I just beach them. You know, and a lot of guys might say, well, that's unethical. I mean, you know, I try to beach the fish where there's some water underneath them. Um, 
I beach them if I'm with somebody. It's really good to have a partner. You can tail a fish very easily, you know. I can tail a fish very easily. The nets that would be required to carry to land most of these fish are so big and bulky that it's, yeah. it's very difficult. So if I'm by myself, I will attempt to tail it. Like if I'm in a spot where I can tail the fish, um, I'll tail it. I don't use a landing glove, you know, I just make sure my hands are really wet. Um, but if I'm not, you know, if I'm not in a great spot to do it where I can't tail the fish, I'll, I'll try to put them on a beach where there's some where there's some so, water underneath them and I'll get them up and out real quick. When you're landing as many as you do, you've got to the point where you don't want a photo of every single... You're, you're just happy you land them, let them go. I've never been a big photo guy, if you know me. I, I don't take a ton of photos. Um, I mean, photos are great. Photos of, of, of broken nets on rainbows on yeah, the north I love, Yeah, I love taking photos of other things <laughs> other than uh, uh, fish. Yeah, there's so many so many great things. I, I had a pretty epic net break on the uh, on the north branch of the Potomac. Just with uh, Blame Trent Jones on that one. Yeah. T-Bone. <laughs> with uh, Trent Jones and, uh, yeah, guide P.J. Daly, um, Savage River Angler, who uh, graciously floated us down the north branch of the Potomac. Pretty pretty epic day, a lot of, a lot of laughs. That's a far drive, man. That's halfway to Columbus. No, it's two hours and 45 minutes. It's not not too bad. Beautiful river. I don't know, it's, man. It's, Sewage it's outflows. It, see, 12 miles from here. Yeah. Go fish four miles. <laughs> Get a credit card out of the water. Go buy, <laughs> <here>. Go <laughs> buy lunch. But, uh, yeah, I had a pretty epic, epic net break. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's good. To, it's it's awesome to take photos, and by all means, you, you, definitely, you definitely should – just uh, don't fish for photos. You know, yep. Fish, fish for fish. Fish to have fun. Now, what about guys using uh, any kind of chum? Throwing some skein up there, throwing some eggs, drift down, throwing an egg in there. Oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, uh, back home, we uh, we give the we give the center pinners. Um, they like to stand right in the middle of the freaking river too. We give the center pinners a lot of flack. Well, one thing I will say. Is that has got to be the most effective way, other than electroshocking? I don't know why people don't do that for shad. To catch a steelhead is that center pin rod. It is absolutely unbelievable. Like where I'm from in Ohio, you see a lot of those guys, um, and they have got it dialed. You know, you talk to a fly fisherman, and it's like, oh, how was your day? Oh, yeah, it was good. You know, I caught ten. I caught eleven. You talk to a center pinner, and he's like, yeah, I went uh, sixty-seven for forty-three. So all right, day. You know. Um, yeah, but uh, those guys, you know, and the reason it's so good and it works so well is they've mastered a drag-free drift. And uh, a lot of those guys fish flies on the other end yeah. of their other spin rods. So, yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they fish skein and they fish eggs and they fish minners, salted and unsalted, live and dead. You know, they fish worms and they fish flies and they can put anything on there and catch a ton of fish because they get an awesome drag-free drift. Um yeah. They, you think they'd get an automatic reel back up? Instead of sitting there, reel, 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 and then let it go. There's no drag on those things. It's all palm. Really? It's all palm, dude. Yeah. Yeah, they use the length of those rods. Those rods are 13 to 15 yeah. feet long, and, you know, it's. Uh, yeah. Now, tampons. Mm. I heard that there's some guys that use tampons out there. Man, so. Uh, uh, this isn't my story. Um, so I, uh, uh, one of my buddies, uh, Adam Schroeder, he's the fishing manager at the, um, 
Buffalo store uh, in, uh, in New York and uh, at the Orvis there. Great steelhead fisherman. Um, check out some of his Facebook posts. He catches some awesome fish in the Niagara River. That's the one with the big waterfall. Yeah, I hear about <laughs> it. They get some wing, they wings up there. Yeah, yeah. Superman went there. Um, Lois Lane fell over. Unless that's a spoiler for you people. But Lois Lane fell over the falls. And then Superman fell into the fire at the hotel and didn't burn himself. And she was very curious as to why. But uh, he tells this story of fishing uh, Burt Dam, which is uh, 18 Mile. And um, uh, he says he goes down and, and he sees these guys catching brown trout, like Lake Run brown trout. And he sees these tampon wrappers on the bank. And he like doesn't have a clue what's, what's going on. Um, and then he finally asks the guy, like he sees a guy shove a tampon into a into the the orifice of a of a brown trout, and he goes like, "What are you doing?" He's like, and the guy says, "You know, oh yeah, that's the best way to keep the the skein fresh, because like there's a you're Why only not a cork. Well, you're only allowed to have so much skein on you, I guess, right. at, at any one given time. But you're allowed to keep like X amount of fish. So if you catch females, and then you shove a tampon in." I guess, you know, that's more skein than... You can have, like, whatever skein you have on you, plus those fish, well, which sure. hold, like, a ton of skein. And then they, like, transfer them over the state lines. Use a stapler. I don't know. That's <laughs> that's what they're... Oh, these are for my wife. That's what the kids do these days. Kids are crazy. Yeah. That's what Adam probably does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you can get away from those guys usually by... Uh, Walking. Yeah, usually by walking, man. The further upstream you go, the less the less people you it find. It seems like the also fishing the weekdays. Yeah, the crazies don't really want to unless they're walking away so they don't get caught. Like they're going to some secluded area. But usually, like, call it guys. There's some dirt bags that just don't. They just go to the closest spot to the parking lot. That's where you know the litter is and the beer cans, and they do their thing, and then they put them in the car and change their clothes and come back oh yeah 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 i never made this point um so i said like the best day of steelhead fishing i ever had was like landing 30 fish and that was indicator drifting the best day swinging i've ever had and that was like eight hour day was i think i landed nine fish some guys have landed a lot more but that's my best day right you know i probably had like 15 hookups and i landed nine fish so uh higher percentage of, of hookups um dead drift dead drift when you're when you're swinging flies you're not looking for any steelhead you're looking for that one steelhead okay you know what i mean so when you're when you're swinging those flies i mean i don't know you've done some swinging i don't know what your best day was but but i've always had better days you know dead drifting you know getting down to the bottom and getting down to the bottom is the most important thing you can never have enough split shot Got to feel that bottom. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, if, if, if your if your indicator is floating down the stream at the rate of the current or slower and not getting snagged, then you are not fishing enough split shot. I mean, it's that simple. You want to get that thing down. I always feel great. Low and slow. When I break off, like I get snagged, I break off my rig, and I'm like, ah, man, I'm throwing expletives out. And then, like an hour later, I get a snag, and I, I, you know, try to pop it out, and my whole rig comes back from earlier. Yeah. I'm like score, I got my flies back. That's why you got to fish that that little split shot dropper. Yeah, man. I think start awesome. doing that. That's that's legit. So, if people need websites for uh, water levels up on the the Rust Belt, 
What, 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 what's the good website besides oh, USGS? Man, you know, so USGS is obviously great. Um, so, spoiler alert, there's a website called riverboss.com. And riverboss.com, like, lists New York, PA, and Ohio. And it lists, like, the... It's the Erie Tribs, basically. And it lists um, uh, some of the most prominent, you know, steelhead streams and their... Uh, it's like a live shot of what USGS is saying for all of those streams, um, and that's that's a great that's a great you know thing to look at. You know, um, you can if you look at USGS or you look at that website, you can kind of see what uh, you know the natural rises and falls and and what the average CFS is for that particular river, and you can determine very easily whether it's high or low. Um, it even tells you like if it's good or bad or ugly or too high or too low or whatever uh, on that website. It, it's pretty accurate. Is there someone that maintains that? That I don't know. Like the actual boss? I don't know. Boss hog? Boss. Yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, all right. So, ignore the man behind the curtain. Where are you going to go? Name some places you eat lunch when you go out fishing. So, there used to be What About Bob's on the Chagrin. That was my jam, mm. man. Yeah. That place sucks now. Yeah, man. If you're in, uh, if you're in, uh, if you're in Cleveland and you're on the west side, so if you're fishing like the Rocky or the Vermilion or the Cuyahoga, um, there's a great place in Lakewood, Ohio called Melt. And Melt is phenomenal. That's the grilled cheese That's joint, the right? the grilled cheese yeah, joint, Yeah, I've man. heard about that. That place is like unreal. Craft brews, phenomenal, like super Cleveland style. I bet like they you, got hard root beer on tap uh, now. Oh man, dude, you can get you can get like a sausage and pierogi and sauerkraut grilled cheese sandwich and pierogies on a grilled cheese. Oh god, it is so. It's My a, record. So we used to have pierogies at, at camp as a kid. My record was sixteen in a row with sour cream and onions. Mm. My record for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches was nine. It's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. My, I was fishing with this guy Matt a couple years ago, and he's telling me about Schwitz. Schwitz Deli. Yeah, Schwitz Deli. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Schleimans downtown is an is an awesome deli to go to. All right, we are back. Let's. Uh, I think we've covered pretty much everything on my my piece of paper here. Let's talk about. Uh, so if people are going up there, where should they? inquire with the local shops and outfitters and, and guide services yeah man so um that's a great question a lot of uh a lot of really good um a lot of really good guides um in the uh greater cleveland and um uh erie pennsylvania area uh and i know there's a, a bunch of great guides in, in in upstate new york um but uh you know in the in the greater cleveland area where i'm from um you know, you can find uh, uh, Mad River Outfitters um, out of a, out of Columbus. They do some some uh, some steelhead fishing and, and, and trips uh, to um, you know Northeast Ohio on some of the trips there uh, for the spring and fall run steelhead. Um, Chagrin River Outfitters is an excellent place to find a uh, uh, find a good guide. There's a guy um, who I know. I was just hanging out with uh, last week. Up on the West Branch, of the Delaware, he, he guides there too um, for trout in the off season. Uh, his name's John Fabian. Uh, Fabian's out of Chagrin River Outfitters. Typically, he's really good. Um, I'm trying uh, to get uh, Schultz on. 
get Schultzy on to do a podcast as well. Yeah, yeah, he'd be a good guy. I mean, he knows he knows a lot of good Flat, stuff. Mr. Flatbelt Hat Guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have uh, uh, Greg Sanyo and team out of Steelhead Alley Outfitters. They right. do PA and Ohio. Um, uh, actually, uh, uh, Brett McRae, who actually lives here in Virginia, I know he does a lot of guiding um, back home in, in Cleveland certain parts of the year. Um, you have uh, also in the uh, western portion, um, uh, the western suburbs of Cleveland. You have a place called the Backpacker Shop. They have some. They have some good guides there. There's a guy, uh, Monty Casey, um, out of Ohio. He's a he's a phenomenal guide. Jerry Darkus, Jeff Lesquet, both out of Ohio. Great guides. Um, the uh, there's a guy Lee. Lee works at um, the Orvis store in uh, Woodmere, which is the eastern suburbs of, of Cleveland. Um, next to Trader Joe's? Next to Trader yeah, Joe's. Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lee will uh, uh, get you dialed in on all the all the steelhead streams back in Cleveland. And then uh, old Jimmy Lampros. Jimmy Lampros, good guy uh, and catalog model. Um, and... Uh, uh, writes for the Drake too. Seen a lot of lot of awesome, lot of awesome articles uh, come out of Jimmy Jimmy out of the, in the Drake. So Jimmy does some guiding, um, and then you know uh, a lot of these guys guide in guide in PA as well. But uh, in PA, uh, John Nagy, Carl Waxelman, awesome guys to look up. They do a phenomenal job. Um, nothing but nothing but good reports coming from those guys. Um, yeah, if you're uh, if you're in the Pittsburgh area, uh, look up uh, Joey Maxim. Joey uh, is the fishing manager at the Pittsburgh Orvis store in Mount Lebanon in the South Hills. He's a steelhead fanatic. Um, he'll get you dialed in over there. You guys can you know call me at uh, the shop in Tyson's seven zero three. Five five six eight six three four. Same number as always. Yep, yep. Uh, also, October seventeenth, we will be doing a steelhead seminar for our Orvis Days event. I think it's at two p.m. Don't quote me on that, but uh, we'll do a fly fishing one on one class and then a seminar about steelhead, and you guys will learn how to land a bottle of bleach. Yeah. So talk about the bleach bottle. We learned about that today. Yeah, yeah, man. So what did you take from that? Let's let's see. You, you, why don't right, you, so, so Art... Is that the first time you saw yeah, that? Yeah, all right. So Art comes out of the back storeroom with a bottle of bleach. And I'm like, uh, okay. He's like, let me, let me show you this. He grabs a H2, and I'm like, what is he going to, like, bleach the cork on it? Puts on a leader, puts on a fly, puts the fly, punches the hole in the brand new bleach bottle, and sticks his, like, thumb through it. Flies in there, leader tippets in there, screws the cap on. He shows us how if you set the hook on something weighted, it's about nine pounds uh, for a gallon of bleach. And if you use the tip, you can't move that, that bottle of bleach. You can move that rod left and right, and that bottle of bleach sits there like a stubborn dog. But if you rotate that rod 90 degrees, like you're going to cast underneath the dock, you can set the hook on this fake bottle of bleach and drag that thing across the floor like that you get more leverage because instead of fighting with the tip top which is the smallest part of your rod it's the base it's the butt and the the base section of your rod which is the thickest and you're going to fight the fish with that and the current fish tires out you land it quicker we even had davenport stop in today and she landed a bottle of bleach yeah kiki galvin kiki got a bottle of bleach yeah 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 came in too so you know that's a big thing like with this steelhead 
uh, a lot of people ask me like how come I hook so many and lose so many and they just take off downstream and I can't I can't land them so uh, you know the long and short of it is sideways pressure you know put the fish you know you set the hook downstream right and then you and then you pull the rod back across your body right and you fight the fish upstream using sideways pressure and what that does is you're pulling its face into the shore right so the current is kind of raking over the fish's body so now the fish can't turn back into the current and he can't turn away from the current without heading towards shore and that's where you gain all the leverage on that fish that, that fish is your biznatch right 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 so the the big mistake we make right is we 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 continue like we let we hook the fish downstream and we let them turn around and 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 swim downstream right or we hook the fish downstream and then we let them swim upstream what we got to do is got to pull pull that fish so that it's horizontal you know in the current the current is intersecting into the side of the fish he can't he can't fight it that way and we start by setting the hook downstream and then repositioning our rod across our body um, 90 degree angle applying sideways pressure to the fish so that his head turns towards the shore which which sends the current against his body so he just literally like swings down and in you know down and in and it works really well it's, it's a it's a great technique and i demonstrate this by by taking a bottle of bleach a gallon of bleach and dropping a fly into it and screwing the cap back on and you try to you know if you try to uh, fight the fish straight up, you know, by pulling the rod straight up, you can't move the bottle of the bleach. It's like impossible. You'll yeah. bust the rod in half before you move the bleach. But if you apply sideways pressure at a 90 degree angle, that bottle of bleach would literally just flip over and slide across the right ground. Right across yeah, that floor. It, it's just simple. It looks like a remote control car taking off. Yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting how that how that works, you know, and it's, that's really the secret behind landing these beasts, you know. When you look into one, I mean, they're ferocious. You know, they will jump, and they will spin, and they will cartwheel, and they will roll, and I've seen them do everything. You know, take off upstream, downstream, toward you, away from you. I've seen them try to rub the fly off on a rock. You know, they're uh, they're hot. A lot of times they're hot when you when you hook into one, especially if it's a fresh fish. Yeah, man. Dime bright. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any last words of wisdom? I think that's it, man. All right, man. Let's go uh, cook up. Foam is home. Yep. Keep the flies low and slow. All right, dude, let's go fire up some food. Let's do it. Oh, man. Right on. Thanks, Art. Are you also known as uh, yeah. Artemis Maximus? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, also I, known as Artemis Maximus. That's what I've heard. Fabio Grills is another one. He's got the long hair, and I love the wild plants. So <laughs> Fabio Grills, that was a new one they came up with. Right. New York this year. All right. Man of many names. Let's call it. That's it. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowway.com.
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.